Change is a common theme in popular culture. Remember Bob Dylan's iconic song, The Times They Are a-Changin'? There's a great updated version of that song by Jimmy Fallon from 2018, and Jimmy does a killer imitation of Dylan. And then there's the classic David Bowie song with the line, Cha-Cha-Cha-Changes. That song was later used in a scene in the movie Shrek 2. On the sadder side, there's the song You've Changed, written by Billie Holiday, that was beautifully covered by singer Eva Cassidy in a memorable performance at the Blues Alley's Jazz Club in 1996. Well, there's increasing evidence that we are now living in a time that's a-changing when it comes to the Earth's climate. I don't want to get into the debate about whether this is because of human activity, but I do want to talk about how climate change could impact the future of agriculture, because it's something that could have serious ramifications for human society. It's hard to imagine a human endeavor that is as intimately dependent on the weather as farming. With the minor exception of high-tech greenhouses or vertical farming facilities, the vast majority of agriculture is inextricably linked to the solar intensity, rainfall, and temperature patterns that occur where the crops are grown. So what I'll try to do for this podcast is to describe the potential impacts of climate change when it comes to the agriculture industry that feeds us all. The phenomenon of how the climate may be affected by levels of greenhouse gases is sometimes referred to as global warming, but it's more complicated than that. This is why climate scientists tend to prefer the term climate change. Even so, higher temperatures are very much a part of the predicted scenarios. Now, thinking of the great 1959 Billy Wilder movie, Some Like It Hot, with Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, and Jack Lemmon, There are certain sectors of global agriculture that could benefit from some warming. They might like it hot. There are areas where the ability to start planting earlier in the season or getting more warm days could enable farmers to plant maybe a higher value crop or or get higher yields. And there are areas that could have a longer time for the growth of a cover crop after the main harvest to even better sustain the health of the soils that fed by the roots. But on the whole, warmer conditions will not be good for most of agriculture. During the day, plants capture and use and store energy from the sun via photosynthesis. But at night, plants are sort of like animals. They need to maintain cell function by metabolizing some of that stored energy. Several years ago, I did a statistical analysis looking at weather patterns and crop yields and found that regions where there are warmer nights, crops tend to have lower yields. So even subtle shifts in nighttime temperature could be problematic for that reason. Crop quality can also be impacted by heat. That's particularly true for wine grapes, coffee, or even wheat. In an earlier podcast titled Why Wheat is Like Wine, I talk about how that more humble crop could really be talked about with the same sort of kind of wine snob terminology, terroir, the terroir being something that describes an ideal combination of soil and weather. Climate change could disrupt our whole way of knowing where it's best to to grow these quality-sensitive crops, or it might even make it impossible to get the most quality. Warmer conditions can also be problematic when it comes to dealing with pests. 
Most insects that damage crops go through several generations each year, so that what might have started as a non-consequential threat early in the season gets exponentially greater with each generation, each hatch-out of, of that insect pest. The generation times of insects are closely tied to degree days, so a bit warmer climate might add uh, another generation or more to the threat that's posed by the pest for the crop. In temperate zones, winter cold tends to do a great job of knocking back the population of pest insects. Milder winters that may come with climate change could not only reduce that pest suppression effect, it could extend the geographic range of certain pests. An example is how the potato tuber moth is now an indigenous pest in the key Pacific Northwest potato-growing states like Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, and that wasn't the case in the past. Heat stress is also an important factor in the threat of mycotoxin contamination of certain crops. Now, that's likely to be a bigger problem in developing countries that don't have sort of protective systems for detecting and rejecting contaminated nuts or grains. That's a safety thing that we enjoy in, in the more developed parts of the world. In some future podcasts, I'd like to get deeper into that sort of generally unknown aspect of the safety of our food supply. A key driver of climate change is the concentration of carbon dioxide, or CO2, in the atmosphere. Once again, that phenomenon has mixed ramifications for agriculture. Now, plants of all types are in the business of capturing CO2 and using the energy from sunlight to turn it into food for themselves and for everything else. When there's more CO2 in the air, plants might actually be able to do an even better job of capturing it, and yields could increase if there are not other limiting factors. However, the downside to that is that their content of other nutrients like proteins and minerals can be effectively diluted. Now, for people who eat a diverse diet, that's probably not a big deal. But for someone whose diet is highly dependent on a single crop like wheat or rice, it could further push such people towards malnutrition. You can read a good discussion of this issue on the Dirt to Dinner website, where there's an article entitled, is CO2 putting your nutrition at risk? As I said earlier, climate change isn't just about heat, nor is it just about elevated CO2. It's also about changing patterns of precipitation. For instance, in the key region of the American Midwest, it seems as though climate change is meaning more intense spring rain events. That not only complicates the whole process of seeding, but it can lead to more leaching of fertilizers into waterways, and that's an issue tied to the dead zone phenomena that you see in the Gulf of Mexico. In other parts of the world, climate change tends to mean more drought, sadly, in sub-Saharan Africa, a region that certainly does not need any more food supply limitations. Now, when it comes to the issue of human contribution to the greenhouse gas load, Agriculture is in the unique role of being on both the plus and the minus side. Now, agriculture does contribute some to the fossil carbon dioxide human carbon footprint through the fuel used in tractors and other equipment and through fossil fuels embedded in the manufacture of nitrogen fertilizer and other agricultural inputs. It's not a huge contribution compared to transportation, heating, and cooling, but it's real. Now, the biggest carbon dioxide issue for agriculture happens 
when previously unfarmed land is cleared of its existing plants and tilled for use. Now, plants of all types feed the soil below with the carbon dioxide that they capture from the atmosphere and turn it into the energy we all need, as I mentioned. And lots of that energy is just re-emitted as CO2, and that sort of cycle of CO2 is considered carbon neutral from a greenhouse gas or climate change perspective. Some of the carbon that plants capture actually ends up in very long-lived forms of biomolecules like lignin, which effectively sequesters carbon dioxide in the ground, reducing the total amount in the atmosphere. Unfortunately, if land, whether natural or farmed, is mechanically tilled, a lot of that stored carbon ends up being released. So a grassland or forest that's converted to farmland ends up emitting a lot of carbon dioxide to the atmosphere. There are two very good solutions to this issue. One is to produce the food and fiber and feed that we all need very efficiently on the land that's already farmed so that wildland stored carbon is not released during the process of land use change. And that's something that modern agricultural technology can enable. The second solution is to farm in a way that does not keep releasing the CO2 that's sequestered in the soil. Since the 1960s, farmers around the world have been figuring out how to farm without the need to mechanically disturb the soil. It's often called no-till or conservation farming. And when farmers employ these methods, they're actually making a significant contribution to the goal of reducing human contribution to the greenhouse gas issue for climate change. The agricultural enterprise has some rather unique greenhouse gas issues. For instance, methane is a gas that comes from cow burps and farts and from any animal manure, depending on how it's stored. And methane has 20 or more times the greenhouse gas effect of carbon dioxide. Even the process of composting manure or other agricultural or food waste also leads to significant methane emissions. Listen to an earlier podcast titled, Waste is a Terrible Thing to Waste, to hear about a more desirable way to deal with this issue that's called anaerobic digestion. Now, there's also a gas called nitrous oxide that gets emitted from any soil, agriculture or non-farm, when there are periods when there isn't sufficient oxygen supply below the ground. Now, that happens when there's a lot of rain or where the soil is compacted and doesn't really allow oxygen to move. There are certain natural soil bacteria that can live when there's no oxygen around, and instead they use nitrogen. But when they're in that mode, they sort of accidentally make a little bit of nitrous oxide. And even small amounts of that gas are problematic because nitrous oxide as a greenhouse gas is more than 300 times potency in terms of warming as carbon dioxide. Now, when farmers use the best practices for building soil health, like minimum tillage and cover crops, they can reduce the contribution of nitrous oxide. And even better, if the farmer uses controlled wheel traffic technology to make sure that any heavy equipment wheels that run over the field only ever touch a small subset of the land, and then the farmer can avoid putting any nitrogen where those tracks are, and uh, this can lead to an even further reduction in nitrous oxide emissions. So in conclusion, when it comes to agriculture, there are some modest potential upsides from limited climate change, but far more downsides. And agriculture has the opportunity not only to reduce its own contribution of greenhouse gases, it has the potential to be at least part of the solution 
by growing crops in a way that sequesters carbon in healthy soil. You can follow me on Twitter at GrapeDoc, at G-R-A-P-E-D-O-C, and visit my blog at www.popagriculture.com.